0: When it comes to pursuing our goals, mindset is everything. Whether you're trying to find a new job, develop healthier relationships, or get fitter, we need to think like a winner. And that means stepping away from our excuses, developing practical strategies to grow, and overcoming obstacles that tend to get in the way. And if this is something that you would like to grow and emulate, then you're gonna love what my guest Brittany Wagner is gonna share with us today. Brittany Wagner is a nationally respected athletic academic counselor and motivational speaker, best known for her role as a breakout star of the hit Netflix documentary series Last Chance You. Brittany guided many young men to academic and professional success, despite run-ins with the law, extreme poverty, abandonment, and often a complete lack of academic preparedness. Brittany has been featured in ABC's Nightline, The Dan Patrick Show, GQ, The New York Times, The LA Times, and Sports Illustrated, to name a few. In this episode, Brittany is going to motivate us with her experiential wisdom in everyday situations. She'll offer tools, tips, and strategies that will embolden us to pursue our goals and put in the work necessary to make our dreams come true. And if you like what you heard, please don't forget to like, rate, share, and subscribe to this podcast. Thanks. Hi, Brittany. How are you doing today? I'm great. How are you? I'm doing terrific. You know, I've spoken to all kinds of coaches and counselors, but I've never spoken to an athletic academic counselor. You're actually the first one on the show. And might I add, you're one of the best out there.
1: Well, thank you. It doesn't surprise me that I'm the first on the show. I think that profession goes unnoticed. Um, You know, a lot of people don't even know it exists. And until Last Chance you came out, um, it was kind of just ignored that that position. So I'm glad I'm representing.
0: Yeah, yeah. And I'm really excited that you're here with us to share your knowledge and, and your story with us. And it's just going to be great. I'm really looking forward to it. Thank you. Me too. So Brittany, you starred in an acclaimed Netflix documentary series called Last Chance You. Take us back and tell us the events that led to this experience.
1: So I was a academic counselor, athletic academic counselor. I worked with athletes for over 15 years. And at the end of that, I found myself in this tiny little town called Scuba, Mississippi. It's population about 400, um, tiny little place in the middle of nowhere in Mississippi. And there was a jun- junior college there, East Mississippi Community College, Um, I was hired there and we were hired to kind of build a program where we helped troubled athletes. Um, We certainly had some athletes that weren't in this, in a troubled spot, but a lot of the athletes we had had been kicked out of a prior institution or had run-ins with the law, um, had academic issues. And here they were at our place at this junior college to get kind of, you know, rehabilitated in order to get to the next level to division one athletics and then maybe professional. Um, and so I had, I was there and had been doing that job for six years at that institution. And we led the country with the most athletes. Um, we had gotten the most athletes to the next level than any other school in the country. And so GQ magazine did a feature story about our program and what we were doing. And from that Netflix bought the rights to it. And, um, we filmed two seasons of the hit documentary
0: "Last Chance You." Wow! And is this something you always wanted to do? Did you feel like that this was your calling?
1: You know, I don't know that I knew what I wanted to do. I, I'm not, you know, I, I I went to college. I was an undecided major my freshman sophomore year in college, and I, I really didn't know what I wanted to do. I didn't know um, what my calling was, or if that was even real, you know, I didn't really know. I don't know that I bought into people having a calling even. And, and then I, I was, I graduated from college and still really didn't know what I wanted to do, which I think is normal. I think a lot of college kids go through that. Yeah. And I went to grad school and it was in grad school where I took an assistantship, a graduate assistantship in the athletic academic office. And it was there. I mean, I was probably I don't know, 21, 22 years old. And 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 I was watching another very strong, independent female do a fantastic job at managing and helping these athletes. And it was in that, it was there in that office as a graduate assistant, where I realized like, this is, I, I like this and I I can be good at this. And this is what I, I what I want to do. Wow.
0: That's, that's great. That is, that's inspiring. That gives that gives hope to people who really don't know what they want to do in their lives, especially the younger, younger listeners um, who are, who are listening to this episode. I can relate to that because when I first enrolled in college, I was a finance major and I'm, and I'm not good with numbers. And I'm just now I'm, in retrospect, I'm like, what was I thinking, you know, because it takes a while to really understand like what your strengths and what your weaknesses are and um, what, what kind of profession you'd really enjoy. Um, so so it's great that you were able to find that um, uh, along the way. And Brittany, I'm curious to know, so as an athletic academic counselor, you worked closely with these college students. What were the challenges that you had to help them overcome? I would imagine that there were a lot of internal barriers that might have kept them from really excelling. In the academic sphere so can you tell us what were some of the the issues that you had to help them overcome
1: yeah you know some of them were academic um we were in a very we were actually in the second poorest county in the united states so extreme poverty which when you have these rural areas or these areas that experience extreme poverty a lot of times the schools are lumped into that category and so they're underprepared they're not getting the same education as other students in, in um, richer or more wealthy areas are. And so we were dealing with a lot of students who, who had trauma in their lives from just being in a low socioeconomic class, You know, trauma from not knowing where their next meal was going to come from, trauma from oh, homelessness really? oh,
0: okay. and being
1: kicked in and out of, of houses and homes. And um, therefore they would transfer to different schools because as they would get kicked out of as they would get evicted from one apartment and move to the other, another apartment. Now they were moved to a different school system, and so they were trying to fit in. And so we were dealing with students with those issues. Um, you know, I was also academic issues as far as not being able to read or not being not ever being taught how to divide. And so now you're sitting in a college algebra classroom and you don't understand the concept of division. And you think that that's that you're dumb, you know, and something's wrong with you because you don't even understand that it's a concept that you were never taught. Um, And so there were academic issues like that, and then there were also, like you said, deeper emotional issues: abandonment, um, abuse, in some situations, just the fear of not being enough. You know, the fear of of not of not making it in the way that society or your own community expects you to make it Mm -hmm. a lot of times these athletes are told especially if they're really good athletes they're told at a very young age you better be good at this because you can't be good at anything else and and so they're kind of pushed in the realm of being really good at their sport because their their community and their parents are doing the best that they can but they think like this is your avenue out you know, this ball is going to help you get out. And they don't, they don't really feed the child with, with the notion that they can be smart, or they can be successful, or that there's a different path that they could take. Mm -hmm. And so you have all of this pressure, the pressure of a community, the pressure of a family, the pressure of a school on these kids to make it, you know, to be something. And, you know, we all struggle with confidence and with the belief that we're you know, that great at anything. And so athletes are no different. They, they excel on the field, but a lot of times mentally there is a self-confidence issue there. And they push themselves in that area because of the fear of not being enough, um, in another area. And so you're, de- you know, we dealt a lot, dealt a lot with that of just the fear of failing. And so sometimes in order to not fail, you, they wouldn't try, you know, if I don't try, if I don't show up, if I don't really put forth effort, then you can't say I failed. You just will say I didn't show up. And 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 so you had, you know, you had kind of the self-sabotaging going on mm-hmm. um, with some of these yeah. athletes in order to not be called a failure.
0: Wow. So um how did you go about helping them? Was it just you? Because it sounds like they were dealing <laughs> with they were dealing with a lot. So I mean, did you take on all the responsibility to help them get through all these all these um, issues that they have? I was had. the
1: only athletic academic counselor at this school. Um I had oh. 200 athletes and I was the only the only one. Now obviously wow. you have coaches that you know understand to some extent sometimes you know what's going on. You have other faculty that yeah. you know obviously help with the academic side of it. Um and then there were times where we would have to pull in a professional um, psychologists, yeah, that's know, what I was going to so, ask
0: were were there psychologists, yeah, for issues, yeah, um, yeah, but
1: yeah, there are there are athletic academic counselors all over the country every every NCAA regulated school has to have them. It's mandated by the NCAA, and they are dealing with this today. I mean, every day they are dealing with trying to help these athletes navigate college life and and beyond,
0: okay. And how did you develop trust with them? Because I would imagine like these teenage, these teenagers, like at first, were they a little bit like cautious Were they did they have a wall that you had to uh, get through?
1: Yeah. You know, a lot of them had been, had been abandoned or had had people that they thought wanted to help them. And then they found out they were just there for the ride, you know, yeah, Uh yeah. And so there is a little bit of that time where you're developing trust or you're trying to develop trust. Um, you know, I had several different, you saw on the show that my office was very open. The door was always mm-hmm. open.
0: I did. Um, yes.
1: You know, I allowed them to be themselves and to show up whoever they were, you know, in that moment. Yeah. And, yeah. and I would, I tried to portray to them that on a daily basis that the the four walls of my office were safe. And so you can come in, and if you need to, you know, lay on the floor and throw a temper tantrum. Lay on the floor, throw like do. You know, it's safe in here. And so um, I think that they, over time, um, they learned very quickly that I cared about them as people, Mm -hmm. and I cared about them beyond the X's and O's of football beyond, you know, how many touchdowns and tackles they, they had, I cared about them as individuals and as people, and they would watch me go to bat for them, you know, um, and, 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 and there was some tough love involved in that. I mean, there was a relationship there and I cared about them, but there were boundaries and there was, you know, tough love of me making sure that they were on the right path to be successful. And I think that they, they knew, you know, that they knew that, Hey, this, this woman, uh, cares about me and cares about my future.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's great. That's great. Wow. So all this experience that you had, all this knowledge that you've gained, uh, uh, you know, while you were the ac- academic counselor, you've, you've taken that and you've used that to write a book called uh, Next Chance You that offers tools and tips for overcoming obstacles and developing a growth mindset. Um, can you share a few of them with us?
1: Yeah. I I think the first, the first chapter in the book is show up. That was always the first rule, I guess, that I had with athletes in the academic setting. My rule was you're going to go to class and you know, that's, that's where we're going to start with learning how to set your alarm, get up and show up for your classes.
0: Attendance in life is mandatory. That's the phrase that you use. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, you know, and I, I would tell them, you're not going to make the best grade possible in a class you don't attend. Mm-hmm. And I feel the same way about life. You know, right now it is, it is super sexy and super popular to be talking about mental health and be talking about being oh, your yeah. best self and it's okay to not be okay. And <laughs> all of those things are true. Yeah. However, we can't <laughs> talk the talk if we're not actually actively showing up to walk the walk. Yeah, and so I think that's the part we're missing out on. We're missing out on actively showing up for our lives, and and that mm-hmm. doesn't mean the things that are comfortable or the things that we like. You know, we we will will show up for work because we feel like we're good at that, and so we'll dive into work and we'll be present and we'll go hard and give a hundred percent at work. But then we go home and we don't give to our relationships at home. Right? You know. We, We are, are, or, or the opposite of that, or we don't give to ourselves. And so we're unhealthy and mentally and physically. And, and I think we have to step back and look at, I call it in the book, the wicker baskets of our life. We have to really be honest with ourselves about the areas, all the areas of our lives. What, what are they, you know, are they relationships, work, self-care fun? I mean, Mm -hmm. what are the areas that make up your existence? Right. And then I think we have to be sure that there's balance and that we're giving actively to each area. Um, and, and I think that's how you show up for your life. Um, I also talk in the in chapter one, right off the bat, I the tough love component, I hit people with the phone. You know, when we are, I, I went to a college campus one time and I looked at, at all the college students walking to class and every single one of them had their head down. And no one was even looking at where they were walking because they were all on their phones.
0: Oh, (laughs) yeah.
1: We're not showing up for our lives if we're not looking. Yeah. If we're in our phones and we're documenting and we're 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 liking and we're tweeting and we're sharing, we're not actively living. And so until we learn how to put the phone down, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know,
0: we're not. Yeah, that's a big problem now. That is a big problem, definitely.
1: It is. Yeah. And so, you know, that's where I start in the book is just challenging people to get real with their own lives and to show up for it. And then, you know, I dive into fear. I think fear is a big um, stumbling block for a lot of us. What are we actually oh, yeah. afraid of, you know, and then how do we tackle that? Um, you know, one of my favorite chapters is is entitled Hold On. And it's the concept that sometimes in life, the best action is no action. You know, sometimes in life. The best action is just sit and breathe. And it's okay sometimes to be uncomfortable. It's okay to sit in the uncomfortableness or to sit in the pain. It's okay to have feelings and acknowledge the feelings and deal with the feelings. I think we, in this hustle bustle of this world today, we, we don't feel our feelings, you know, yeah. we, we,
0: mm-hmm. we to tend to numb things. them or we tend to numb them or ignore them.
1: Right. And I think, yeah. you know, in that chapter, I talk about stopping and sitting and asking yeah. yourself, what do I, what am I feeling? Like, what is yeah. actually going on inside of my body right now? Sure. And sometimes that's the best thing is just hold on, you know, and wait for things to pass or wait for, wait for the feeling to change um, rather than numbing it or dismissing it. Mm-hmm yeah, and I, I end the book with with some positivity. I end the book with you know, dreaming big and never giving up. And I talk in that in those chapters about representation and how important it is and why it's important for all of us to be represented. Um, it's important for a child to see other people who look like them. oh yeah,. Succeeding. And, and um and so those two chapters are really about that about finding finding your dream, you know, finding your thing and then climbing the ladder, you know, to get there. Um, putting in the work. Um, I, I have a concept that's called the magic wand syndrome. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of us are sitting around waiting for someone else to wave the magic wand to save us. And so, in the book, I challenge people to be their own hero and and to realize that there's no magic wand. You know, the only magic wand is the one that we have inside ourselves. We're here to to be our own hero and to save ourselves. And and um, no one else is going to dive in and do that for you.
0: Yeah, I totally agree with you. And how, what would you say is the most important quality for someone who, who wants to really win in life, who wants to develop that winner mindset that you helped all these students um, develop while you, while you were counseling them?
1: I think you really have to understand that you have to be willing to do the work. Mm. And there's nothing in life that... Doesn't require work. There's not, you know, there, there, there's nothing, and and we want. I think we all want. You know, we we're a society that's looking for a quick fix. Oh yeah, we're a society that's looking for a for some magic pill and magic and and that's going to make us rich or that's going to make us yes. skinny or that's going to make yeah. us smart. There's not one, and and the reality is, you we have to be willing to do the work for our own lives to be successful, and sometimes it's easy work. Sometimes it's hard work. Sometimes yeah. life is great. Sometimes life is hard. And that makes us human and it makes us normal. And, and I think sometimes we, we want to, we want this, you know, we want to put out that if life is hard, then you, you, you know, you've you're doing it something up. wrong.
0: You're doing you've something made wrong. It hard. And yeah. That's, yeah. That's
1: that's a lie. Life is hard and it's hard for everybody. And we're all a product of our experiences and it's hard right. at different times. And there's valleys and there's mountains.
0: Sure. But a lot reality. of people think it's a linear process, you know, the the road, the road to right. success, you know? Yeah. And it's not right. You got, as right. you said, there are these peaks and valleys and that's totally normal.
1: Exactly. And, you know, people that have been successful have also been failures. <laughs> I mean, they didn't yes. get to the success without at some point failing and yeah. and that's okay it's it's normal and okay and i just think we've done a poor job of showing people of normalizing failure and normalizing mistakes and normalizing you know the fact that there are valleys in in life
0: right and and i think in the media they don't really show all that hard work and all the failures that the successful people go through, you know, I mean, now there's more and more of that, but, uh, and, and I think especially the younger generation, they, um, they get this, this wrong impression that, uh, you know, that they got successful overnight, um, because they don't see all the, the blood, sweat, and tears that went into becoming who they are, you know?
1: Right. I say, I say it to young people all the time. Nobody puts their crap on, on Instagram you know they
0: don't they don't don't right you
1: see i I don't wake up and post my bad day on instagram like i'm I'm, you know so you can't when you start that comparison mindset you're comparing your worst moment to somebody else's filtered absolute mess it's deadly it's
0: dead it's deadly it really is it is
1: it's 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 traumatizing how we um how we how now we have it everywhere that that Comparison of of fake to real. Um, I, I, I talk about it in the book, but I remember years ago when it became. I don't know. People Magazine did a did a thing where they challenged women celebrities to appear in People Magazine without makeup on. You mm. know, and it was that. okay. It was like and you know, they did it. I think. I think one of the another magazine did it where people were food and you know, and so you were kind of showing all of your flaws and. And I remember the the moment of like looking at the magazine, and and you're 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 hopeful and devastated all in the same moment. You know, it's like that's what Julia Roberts looks like. You know, and you're <laughs> like what? <laughs> but but all of a sudden, the facade that people wake up like this, you know, that she woke up beautiful is over when you're looking at her without makeup on. But I think you know that's kind of what we the truth, you know, and it's kind of, we need a little bit of that, a little bit of, of, you know, no one woke up like this. We, we all fought and worked and, and grew to this level.
0: Yeah. I mean, they can motivate you. You can see them as role models or someone, someone you'd like to aspire to, you know, but, um, but I think, uh, you know, being careful about comparing yourself to where you are now, to where they are, and not taking into account the fact that they took many years to get to where they are. I think that's when, uh, things can get a little bit dangerous and impact your self-esteem and your confidence. Yeah. 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 Um, and I want to talk to you about a really great initiative that you started. It's called, um, 10,000 pencils. Um, and, um, In that organization, you aid at-risk youth in high schools and colleges in the U.S. Um, Can you please tell us a little bit more about that? What really goes on in that project? And what do you hope to achieve?
1: So I saw a lot of athletes uh, that came to college unprepared in a lot of ways. And and one of the ways that they were unprepared was they they showed up to college with a backpack. And, And that backpack might have contained two pairs of clothes and a toothbrush. And that was it. And, mm-hmm. and that was all they had. You know, they were, mm-hmm. they were standing there and they wanted the opportunity and they wanted to be successful, but they literally didn't even have a pencil. You know, and, and I, I would see these kids walking into this opportunity without the resources needed to, for it to be successful. And it broke my heart because you realize that no matter how hard they try, they're fighting an uphill battle without the basic resources needed for this to be successful, and 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 sometimes it's just a pencil. And so right. I started. I would I started with that question. I would ask athletes all the time when when they would be walking into a class. Hey, do you have a pencil? Hey, do you have a pencil? Um, you know, you watch the show. I say it thousands of times. Do you have a pencil? And I would simply hand athletes a pencil or a notebook or a piece of paper or whatever resources they needed to be successful. I had them in my office and I would tell them at any time, come get what you need. You know, you've got to have the basic resources. And so when I left the show and I started my own company, I uh, decided to name it 10,000 pencils after Malcolm Gladwell's concept in outliers of 10,000 hours
0: of effort. Oh, Um, that's where it comes from. Yeah.
1: Yeah, <laughs> that's where it came. Okay. From, where the name came from. So um, but the company is is based on that notion that academic issues aren't really academic issues, that a lot of times students who are who have behavior problems in a school setting or who have this inability to really learn at the rate of other students, it's usually a social and emotional need that's not getting met. Okay. That's blocking them from learning. And and sometimes it's the basic resource of not having a pencil or not having, you know, the the calculator that everyone else has. has. Mm -hmm. And so that's 10,000 pencils. Um, I travel around the country and work with different schools, teaching administrators, coaches, teachers, how to really develop relationships with students and to see them as more than a statistic, you know, more. uh,
0: Just just like, just like you did when you were. uh, Right. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Right. And and really challenging these schools to look at the social and emotional needs of our students and how we can help to meet those needs. And then focus on the learning part after that to to really look at the student as a whole person. Um, I think when you start to do that, then then you can you can help the student to learn. But you can't you can't ask a hungry 10 year old who hasn't eaten in three days. To, to sit down and focus on passing a math test, their brain oh, you will can. Yeah. not allow them to do that. Mm-hmm. And um, I think it's important for schools to move in that direction where we're really
0: looking at social and emotional needs. Okay. And um, are these, are these institutions, are they responsive to the program? Or are they willing to? Yeah, you know they are.
1: I think that yeah. um, one thing with, with, with 10,000 pencils and being from Mississippi, I lived in a, I lived in the poorest state in our country. And I, you know, I worked in the second poorest County in the United States for eight years of my life. So mm-hmm. we didn't have resources either. You know, yeah. we weren't yeah. a multi, I didn't have a multi million dollar budget with fancy software to get things done. And I think mm-hmm. a lot of times schools, schools look to that, you know, how much money can we spend in order? Mm-hmm. And, and then we, whoever spends the most money is the school that's helping the students the most. And I come in from a different approach. I'm not selling you anything. I don't think you need money to make to make what I sell work. You know, I think that you need people who are willing to do their job and to have relationships with students. I think that you can do this without fancy software and without a, a multimillion dollar budget. You've just got to have the right people on your staff and and people that really want to impact children's lives. And if you really want to do that, it doesn't cost you a thing. You know, you, you, you can go in and do that every day. And so I love, I love that. And I love being able to work with those types of schools that haven't been able to have help before because they can't afford, you know, the the help or they can't afford the fancy software. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, and we're not coming in selling that.
0: Yeah. Yeah, so so they're more open to you, right? When they realize that you're not out to, that you, you're not selling them anything. Exactly. It, yeah. It's not
1: about, um, you know, It's it, you, you can do this with a hug and a...
0: <laughs> yeah, know, yeah. Smile just just, and just and small it, things like that. It's,
1: it right. matters,
0: yeah. Right, and exactly. If Brittany do... The students that that you were with in the past, like, do they are you still in touch with them?
1: I am. I'm in touch with a lot of them. Okay, you know, it's it's the same. You think about our own lives, and you you're really close to someone. You know, you may have had a teacher that you were a professor in college that you know you're really close to, and you may. I have a couple
0: of them. It's funny that you say that you should look at the student as a as a person. And my favorite teachers were the ones who did that. They saw me as a person. Exactly. You know, and they were invested in my personal development. So yeah, I, I I totally agree with that.
1: And you probably don't remember the grade you had in the class. You may not even remember what they actually taught. Now I remember how they made me feel. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So I do have a relationship with a lot of the students that I've worked with. Um, the, the, the older they get, you know, the less that relationship becomes because yeah. other people start to fill that space. And that's the hard part for me. Um, you know, I want to have that relationship and know what's going on in their life forever. Yes. But they grow up and they get families of their own and they get other people in their lives. And then, yeah. you know, I I go further and further down the list. So.
0: Oh, I'm sure <laughs> they have a special place for you in their heart though.
1: I hope <laughs> so. I certainly have one in mine. so. <laughs> Were any of them in the movie and in the, in the um, documentary series? Yes. Yeah. So I worked there for six years before we started filming the documentary. And so obviously yeah. those athletes that were with me the first six years are not in the okay. documentary. Um, but yeah. there were two seasons of, of, of the documentary where, you know, there were athlete, the athletes that I was working with were in, in the documentary as well. And okay, I think, the world loved them, fell in love with them just as much as they fell in love with me and um, and yeah, so uh, there most of them I do communicate with still I think there was just a special bond formed with us being on that show yeah. together, yeah. Um, and so most of them I do still communicate with.
0: Yeah, it's a very special kind of dynamic that you share with them that really came through uh when I watched it, um, yeah.
1: Well, there's nothing like being thrown into a TV show together that, and, and no one had a clue what we were doing. And so there's just something, you know, that group of that, of season one, that group of athletes and I, I think there's just a bond there that is like no other.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I can imagine. I can imagine. All right, Brittany, that brings us to the end of our conversation. Thanks for all the inspiration you've given us. And I have to say that it's so wonderful that um, there are strong strong role models like you out there helping young people uh, to succeed and thrive. Uh, You know, just I applaud you for that. Thank you. Thank you. All right. So Brittany's book, Next Chance You, is available at all major bookstores, and you can also visit her website, BrittanyWagner.com. The link will be in the description box. Brittany, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much.
1: Thanks. You too. I appreciate it. That was fun.
0: It was fun. Bye. Bye. Hey, everyone. Thanks for tuning in. If you enjoyed what you just heard, Please subscribe to my podcast and feel free to share it with your friends and family. Take care and speak soon.